Psalm 37 Because this psalm is so different than the others, it stands out as more of a sermon rather than a song of praise. King David, in his wisdom, understood the temptation to follow after the wicked, but he also knew the consequences of going by sight rather than faith. Is it any wonder that King David, near the end of his life, wanted to instruct God's people not to go astray? Welcome to Broken Vessels Mended by God podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit, and I welcome you today. We're going to go into Lesson 2 of Psalm 37 to know more about what it means to truly take delight in the Lord. So welcome to this podcast. In our last lesson, we began to look at trust. That's the first column of our building, so to speak, in our minds that holds up the theme of Psalm 37, which is take delight in the Lord. And I had explained how I traveled through Rome with my husband, and when we saw the ruins, the Roman ruins, uh, we were just amazed at the foundation of these ancient buildings and how they were still standing. And so in our uh, mythological building, our hypothetical building in our minds, we have a roof, which is take delight in the Lord, and four columns that are holding up this building. And the first column is trust. And that's what we're focusing on again today. And the foundation of this hypothetical building, if you will, is God's word. And remembering that his word truly is the foundation of our belief in him. So how can we truly delight in God without trusting him? Psalm 37, 3-4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now remember, this psalm was written as a sermon, a proclamation from the prophet of God, King David, to the people. He is instructing God's people not to fret or be angered by the prosperity of the wicked all around them. The wicked were thriving Great kingdoms like the Assyrians, which is modern-day Syria, the Babylonians, which is modern-day Iraq, the Egyptians and the Persians, which is now today Iran, these areas, these kingdoms were growing in wealth and power, making little teeny tiny Israel vulnerable to attack by these great nations. But the people were forgetting God and his mighty power and how he had preserved the land since it began. And is that something that we do every day? We go by sight rather than remembering God's strength and his presence in our lives and our life history. We can look back over our lives and see how he protected us. And are these great powerful nations still a threat to Israel today, thousands of years later? So shouldn't we have our faith strengthened in God just by that fact alone, that Israel remains. We can still trust in God today. We can glean much from David's instruction, even today in our lives. Do not fret, he said. Instead, we are to trust. But what does trust look like to you? The Hebrew word used in Psalm 37 is batak, I think that's how you pronounce it, 
and it means be confident in, boldness, and hope. So King David is commanding his people to be confident in God, not in what their eyes are seeing, but in God. He's telling them to hope in God, to be bold in God, and not in the things of the world. Sound familiar? So many Old Testament books have similar instructions. The prophets lamented to God about how perplexed they were that the wicked prospered, even though they had committed great evil against God's people. Habakkuk cried out in Habakkuk 1, 1-4, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry out violence, and you will not save? So see, he had the same concerns hundreds of years after King David's death. The Assyrians had actually invaded Israel, and the Babylonians were about to take God's people into exile. As a result, God's people had abandoned his covenant, and they followed after the wicked. But we can look back in Job chapter 8, where Job's friends had reminded him that while yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. So even in this book of Job, the first book of the Bible ever written, his friends warned about what happens when people forget God and follow after the wicked. It is a very prominent theme in Scripture. Trusting in God requires confidence in Him. What about you? Have you put your trust in God to the test? And how has He passed that test? Now we know we're not supposed to test God, but we are to put some of the themes and instruction we see in the Bible to the test. And in doing so, those verses now have more meaning in our lives, more purpose in our lives. So think back over your life. Has God passed the test? We are told in Scripture to trust God through the good times and the bad times. In the Psalms, like Psalm 115, we're reminded that He is our help. And in Psalm 62, our rock, right, that we can trust in. But how can we trust in something we have never seen? That's where faith comes in. Remember how God's people were envying the wicked, and some were even following the wicked because they were prosperous, and they coveted what the wicked had. They trusted in what they could see with their eyes. God no longer appeared to them in clouds or as a pillar of fire. He spoke through the prophets, including King David. Do we go by what we can see even today? Why do you think that is when we know God is there? We can look back over our lives and see how He has been faithful. Yet, we tend to go by sight. We remember King David when he was a young man. He told Goliath, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And Psalm 37 was written near the end of his life, so he could look back over his life and see God's faithfulness. Did he know about trusting in God? Yes. King David had a very close and personal relationship with God. As a young boy, he cried out to the giant Goliath, knowing God was with him and would help him best that wicked giant. David put his trust in God over and over again. As a shepherd, he was very observant. In Psalm 37, at the end of his life, he's reflecting on that life experience. As he did so, he could see God's faithfulness to him and also to the righteous. 
He commanded, do good. Imagine God commanding us to do good and then not providing us with an example to follow. That would be a cruel God, wouldn't it? But he did give us an example to follow. He gave us the perfect example of faithfulness in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have the servant David, but he was far from perfect. He was a precursor to what a relationship with God might look like, but Jesus gave us that perfect example to follow. It was Jesus who dwelt in the land and fed on God's righteousness alone. But remember, Jesus was tempted, and like David, he faced a mighty foe. He was tempted with food and power and idolatry. We read about it in Matthew chapter 4. Right before his ministry would begin, Jesus passed the test. The tempter came at him with food. He knew Jesus was a man and had hunger, but yet Jesus responded with God's word. Then Satan came at him with God's word. He tempted Jesus to twist God's word around, just like Adam and Eve did. But Jesus reminded him of what God's word really says. And lastly, Satan tempted Jesus with glory and power, just like he does with us every day. But Jesus dismissed him knowing he has all the power and dominion over everything already. And he relied on God's word alone. He was God in flesh. So Satan's temptations were an act of futility. But Jesus reminds us in Matthew to go to God's word first and foremost. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20. For us, we read in Isaiah 26 that through everything, God is our everlasting rock. And in Leviticus 26, we are reminded that if we obey him, we will have peace in the land. And in Numbers 14, we are reminded how God's people suffered 40 years because of their iniquity. So we see Isaiah instructing readers to trust in God. God told his people that they would be provided for if they obey him, and he warns them of the consequences of not obeying him. Which would you rather have, blessings or punishment? That's an easy answer, right? Well, you would think so, but we still look at the prosperity of the wicked around us with envy. We covet what we do not have, even though God has blessed us with so much. We want more and more. And Jesus could relate to his people because he had been tempted too, with glory and power. But he passed the test because he relied on the word of God, his Father. So we can trust God too. Foundation David wrote, Trust in the Lord and do good. God's word, as Jesus told us in Matthew 4, is the foundation of our lives. Remember that God never commands us to do what pleases him without providing an example of how to do the things that please him. And that perfect example is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled scripture by starting his ministry in Galilee. That was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. The land of the Gentiles. He could have gone to the Jewish people only, but he obeyed God's will, not his own. Do we? Do we always seek God's will first or last as a final resort? 
I know I have failed time and time again to seek God's will first. But I'm learning. What about you? Jesus did good. He healed a great multitude. And the results of his actions? A great multitude followed him. Jesus fulfilled the law, and he trusted his Father's will. Why should we do good? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told the people to do good for the Lord and not for men. So God sees what we do. He himself will openly reward you when we do these things in secret, not for glory. Remember in Psalm 37, 3, David said, Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Dwelling in the land is very important. We've seen God's people as refugees, especially after World War II. Having a land, a piece of land, is so important. It's home. God understood that. God's people had wandered for 40 years searching for the promised land. They displeased God, and one generation never even reached the land. Here David reminded them of this history. They were wandering yet again, except they were already in the promised land. But like sheep, they were going astray, following after false shepherds, going after their own desires, and heading straight into danger. But as a good shepherd, King David instructed them to be obedient and stay in the land, the promised land that God had given them. They wanted to follow after these people. As a good shepherd, David told them, remain in the land. What about you? Do you dwell in the land when things go wrong or do you tend to wander? I tend to grow impatient and run up ahead and find myself alone without a shepherd. And that's a dangerous place to be. But I've learned over the years to remain in the land, seek after God's will, talk with my husband about important decisions, and wait on the Lord. I've learned the lesson after many times of failing. Can you honestly say where you are right now is where the Lord wants you to be? I can finally say yes. How would you answer that question? When we dwell in the land, we are safe. Now back in 2012, God had me leave my current job and go teach in the classroom for four years. I knew that was what he wanted me to do. He opened doors of opportunity that I just could not have opened on my own. But was it easy? No. It was very difficult to be a teacher at age 45 when most teachers are retiring and I took a huge pay cut to leave my job and go teach. There were days when they, it was so bad I wept tears of frustration and anger. But then I started to see the good times and how the good times began to outweigh the bad times. And I saw signs pretty much every day that I was where God wanted me to be. I could tell that he was pleased with what I was doing with my life. And then God made it very clear that it was time for me to go. And I did. And it was scary not to have a job waiting for me. But I had to feed on his faithfulness. I had to reflect back on all the times he had come through for me before. And I knew God would provide. And he did. 
In John chapter 11, when Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he prayed. He prayed, not for himself, but that through his obedience and trust in the Father, those around him would believe that God had sent him. He didn't have to do that, but he did it for a very specific reason. He wanted the Father to be glorified. Our actions must speak louder than our words. I have a friend who recently exclaimed herself to be holy just because she listened to sermons on the radio all day long. If that's what makes us holy, then why did Jesus die? We are commanded to be in God's word, not to just listen to it. We are commanded to learn sound doctrine and search the scriptures as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. If all we do is listen to what others have learned from searching the scriptures, then we are setting ourselves up for disaster. We must be rightly dividing the word of truth. Our obedience is what pleases God. That's what Jesus said when he quoted Deuteronomy 6. We don't just live by food and shelter alone, but by every word that comes from God. And we are blessed today to have the Bible, the complete revelation of God. We must be in it every day. King David wrote, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How can we apply all that we've learned so far? Well, when we trust in the Lord, we obey Him and do His good will. He has proven to us that He is trustworthy. And by trusting in Him, only then will we safely dwell with Him and feed on His faithfulness. And only then can we truly delight in the Lord. God will then give us the desires of our hearts. Oh good, you might think. God will give me whatever I want, whatever I desire, right? A new car, a pay raise, or a bigger house, or fame and fortune. Well, that's not exactly what God means in that verse. What David instructed in these verses are as follows. If we trust in the Lord and do good, we dwell with Him and are reminded of His faithfulness to us all our lives. That leads to true worship of God. And then, suddenly, our desires become His desires for our lives. See how that works? Being with God, obeying Him, reflecting on His work in our lives, transforms our hearts. And now we conform to His will for our life. In Matthew 7, Jesus reminded us that our Father is a good Father, better than any earthly father. And he provides for us what we need, not necessarily what we may want. But God, Jehovah Jireh, gives us exactly what we need when we need it. As in Job 22, his friends reminded him to agree with God and receive peace. In Psalm 145, we're told that God hears the cries of those who fear him, and he saves them. And in Psalm 94, we're told that the consolations of God cheer our souls up. His consolations will cheer us up. So, do what Jesus did. Seek God's will for your life. Obey God's commandments. 
Jesus was busy doing the work of God, not his own desires. And in doing so, he glorified God, and people began to believe that he was sent by God. The desires of Jesus' heart became God's desires. And in John 15, near the end of his life, Jesus desired that we remain in his love. And in John 17, Jesus gave his disciples everything he told the Father when he prayed for them. He said, I have given them your word. And in John 17, 20 through 21, Jesus prayed for us that we would be one as he and the Father are one. So the desire of Jesus was that we all would be one in the Father. He said, I do not pray for these alone, meaning his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may know that you sent me. Those are the desires of Jesus, that we all be with him, that we all have fellowship with God just as he does, and that the world may know that Jesus was sent by God. But God will not be with us if we are in disobedience. He can't because he's perfect. There is no darkness in him. That's what John wrote in 1 John. God longs for fellowship with us, just like he had with King David and Jesus. And when God's people rejected him and found broken vessels for themselves, God was silent for 400 years. And that's the warning David gave to his people. And we would be wise to heed that warning today. Who can you trust? You can trust God. He has earned it. He is trustworthy. So trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust requires testing for reliability and validity. Can we put God to the test? We can read in in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we will find his faithfulness. We can trust in the Lord. And only then can we do good, the kind of good that pleases him. And then we will dwell with him and reflect on his faithfulness. And then we will take true delight in him and be transformed. Doesn't that sound amazing? So take time today to rejoice in this loving Father that you have. And until next time, reflect on what you learned about God today that maybe challenged you and comforted you. And until our next lesson, God bless.